We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Today we're talking offensive line and diving into the guard and center position groups of the 2020 draft class. But before we get into that, we'll be diving into a question from Josh on our Patreon page, who is a member of their $20 tier. Those at the $20 tier are able to submit questions to be covered within our scheduled episodes. So this question is from Josh and Josh writes in and asks, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Rivers specifically. Where will he play? Is he a Hall of Famer? What is his legacy? And do you agree with how the organization has handled free agency thus far. Thanks. So first things first, how do you think the team has handled his departure? So I think they've handled it well. And uh, I don't know what else they could do other than maybe handing him $100 million out the door, like on his way out. I They've talked about it frequently. They haven't like remained hidden. They haven't really hid behind the decision of, we're letting him go. We don't want to talk about it. They've been upfront about it. And even Rivers, and like, they mutually parted ways. This is something they did together, and they made the decision, it seems like, a while ago. And, um, yeah, even they're going to be emotional about it. Rivers is going to be emotional about it. We're going to be emotional about it. But at the end of the day, it, it the fact that they mutually parted ways feels better than if Rivers really wanted to stay and they just cut ties. You, you look over at what Eli went through last year and what Tom Brady's going through right now of whether he he doesn't even know if he's going to stay a Patriot. Um, it looks more it sounds more like Brady wants to leave, but I think they've handled it pretty well with Rivers. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, they've done a really good job of, of sending out the videos and the king of the mic'd up uh, video that they did was really nice and it was 
uh, fun to kind of go through those memories and, and see, you know, what the team has been like throughout the years and, and what Rivers has been like. Um, as far as like handling this, I think they've done a really good job in general of um, a building, trying to build a contender around him. You know, we know that they passed on Deshaun Watson to draft Mike Williams to kind of give him more weapons and prolong his career. And they've also done a good job of planning for the future. Like we talked about um, on the other episode, like there are a lot of really good young players in peace. You know, you have Derwin and Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Austin Eckler and, you know, even Melvin Gordon to an extent of these really young pieces. And you can add Hunter Henry in there too. Uh, of giving Rivers these good weapons who are also young and and can kind of carry the torch into the next era of Chargers football. I think they handled it really well, at least at the end so far. He hasn't retired yet, so I guess we don't really know. I guess my question is, what do you think about... So it it seems like they've been planning on this for a year now. Do you think this, if you look at it in terms of a year, did they handle it well? Because it kind of looks like they knew he was on the way out and they kind of just let him go. And see, you know, just to see what he could do, uh, see if he could repeat 2018. Um, but it it failed miserably. So is that a criticism of the team? Do you think? Do you think that's just fair? That's just football. Well, I think you know it, it could be a criticism, you know, with how they use their draft picks. But um, as far as planning for last year, like we talked about, you know, it's really hard to plan for literally the worst outcome possible. Um, I think when you sit down with your coaches and with your scouting staff, you don't realistically sit down and say, now what's going to happen if we lose 17 starters this year to injury? You know, that's obviously an exaggeration, but it was pretty close. Like you lost a lot of talent on both sides to injury. And um, there were a lot of question marks and there were a lot of certain players that didn't develop the way that they were planning to, Um, you know, everyone's going to bring up the right tackle situation. And that absolutely is a fair criticism. Um, Not, not addressing that last off season is definitely fair. Um, but Anthony Lynn kind of has a little bit of Pete Carroll to him where he wants to take care of his guys. And you know, maybe Sam Tevy is one of his guys, but maybe not. Um, but as far as handling last season, I think they did a really good job of, of giving him the pieces that he needed to um, succeed last year too. They, they selected the players they did. And it, even when the draft was happening uh, post draft, I had said, it felt like they were planning for the future, not for this year. With Tillery, Tillery was a project. I know some people, when the pick happened, overexcited about it. Like there was, uh, people started to think that he was the piece. I never viewed him that way. I viewed him as somebody who had the potential in the future to really grow into his role. He wasn't going to be this game wrecker from the get go. And then you had Nasir Adderley, who had played safety, I think, for one year. He was a corner prior to that. So there was still some more learning for Nasir to do once he hit the NFL level. A great natural athlete, but uh, even that felt like more of a project than a win-now pick. Um, I don't think Nasir is a project, that said. I think think he could have absolutely played right right away in his rookie year, Um, but injuries, unfortunately, held him back. And then you had Trey Pipkins, who maybe is the biggest sign of saying look we're not talking about 2019 we're looking at 2020 building a roster that a rookie or a a young vet can succeed uh behind that these guys can that the weapons to surround a a quarterback in the future not just to surround phil right now um it really felt like they weren't going to risk everything just to get rivers his his moment 
they weren't going to sacrifice the future of the franchise for one moment in Rivers' career. Which, I mean, if you hate that, I, I, I get it. But in terms of 2020, I'm excited moving forward having Trey Pipkins uh, because he developed really well, I thought, over the course of the season. The preseason, it looked like he was a failure. I thought he, <laughs> when I watched that preseason with Trey Pipkins, I thought it was over. I was ready to throw in the towel. <laughs> like, okay, well, that was that was a terrible pick. But um, seeing him grow as much as he did to where there was a game where only gave up two pressures total, I mean, I have faith in Pipkins moving forward. I think I think it was the right call to draft based on the future rather than one year left with Rivers. I think with the, the Pipkins pick, like, you know, when you're taking a small school player like that, you're drafting him for his physical attributes and, and his ceiling that you could t- potentially tap into. You know, it wasn't like they were picking him and expecting him to come in and start right away. Um, I think if they had their way, you know, he probably wouldn't have played at all this year. I think they probably would have just basically given him a redshirt year and, and let him develop behind um, Russell Okung and, and Trent Scott and Sam Tevy. So um, I think you draft players based off of what you think they can be. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll take a potential instant impact guy in the, round, in the first round, but it's hard to do that. They were picking, what, 29? And so it's hard to get an instant impact guy at pick number 29. And um, Tom Telesco said afterwards that he thought Tillery had the highest potential. He thought that he was the highest graded player at that point. And so that's what you roll with. So, um, yeah, they drafted for the future. But, you know, I think they still had the pieces around Rivers to succeed in 2019. But they were 2-9 and nine in, in uh, single-digit games. And a lot of that was, frankly, because of Rivers and his turnovers and other turnovers from other players. So um, if you win four of those games instead of two, you know, maybe you're at seven and nine. And if you can win one game more than that, then, you know, maybe you're close to the playoffs. And I think, you know, does that feel any better if you're eight and eight or seven and nine? Does 2019 feel any better? Uh, Probably not. But, you know, just that's kind of how the season panned out. And I think part of them preparing for the future is is part of the reason why Rivers, this is as much as Rivers' decision as it is the team's decision to move on. So it's possible Rivers still has a chance to play somewhere else and that he wants to play somewhere else. But where do you guys think, if he chooses to play, where do you think he'll play? Um, I think I can't see a situation that he could uh, walk into that would be best for a team, both financially and um, in the moment, just like a good fit. Uh, so the first team that pops up in my mind is the Colts, and uh, you like the the fit there, but you don't like the financial side. Um, you got Jacoby Brissett, who is owed twelve million heading into this season. Then you've got a potential rookie quarterback that could be due eight million for this year, and um, then you got to pay Rivers twenty five to thirty million on top of it. And I don't see. I don't see the Colts wanting to shell out $45, $50 million on quarterbacks alone. That's That seems a bit extensive for me. And so maybe maybe the Colts skip out on taking a rookie quarterback this year and go get Phillip Rivers and surround him with weapons. I don't necessarily like the weapons in Indianapolis at all. They had Eric Ebron, and uh, he got hurt. And then they had T.Y. Hilton, who even when he's playing, he's hurt. Um, outside of that, they don't. I don't like their receiving room at all. It's awful. And uh, to go from Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, to Marlon Mack, and then sometimes T.Y. Hilton, I, I don't know. I don't see. I don't see the fit maybe as much as everybody else does, aside from that O line. 
Yeah, I think with their offensive line, like you definitely have the the set of players that could complement what Rivers is at this stage in his career, which is probably someone who's should be only throwing 25, 30 times a game. And um, the other thing to point out with the Colts is it doesn't really feel like, um, you know, their GM, Chris Ballard, it doesn't feel like a move that he would make. Um, he's really been smart with building through the draft at this point, and, and they hardly ever have signed players through free agency with him. And, you know, I think Eric Ebron is like their big splash of the last few years. And um, that was to be the backup to Jack Doyle. And it kind of panned out that Doyle was hurt and Ebron kind of stepped up, which is fine. But, you know, they, he's very Tom Telesco S. And when he signs a free agent, it's it's more of a complimentary person. So that doesn't really feel like a Chris Ballard move. I could see it make sense, you know, that, and there's obviously the, the coaching connections with Frank Wright and, and the quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator who are all in L.A. at some point. Um, so I could see that. And I think if he does decide to play, I think that's probably where it ends up being. Um, Daniel Jeremiah actually brought up the Carolina Panthers too, because Pat Meyer has been with who used to be the offensive line coach. He's been with Phil Rivers for a long, a large portion of his career. And now he's in Carolina, but I don't personally, I think that that kind of doesn't agree with what Rivers wants at this point. I think he would want to go to a team where he's kind of viewed as like the next piece to contending like Indianapolis, where like, if you get an upgraded quarterback, you're probably better off. Um, but that certainly is not Carolina, who's going to be in a bit of a rebuilding stage right now. Um, and then you have Tampa Bay, who's kind of the wild card. You know, personally, right now, I think Jameis Winston fits what they want to do more. You know, if he can, with his new eyesight or whatever, maybe he can cut down on some interceptions and maybe they can win some more games. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of question Rivers' fit in Tampa Bay. And again, the financial side things as as well there. Isn't Melvin Gordon the fit for Tampa Bay as well? Wouldn't <laughs> are we gonna see are we gonna see Philip Rivers throwing to a number thirteen with Melvin Gordon in the backfield? That, uh, I mean Melvin Bay. Gordon would be great there. I think you know he's a big step up from their current running back situation for sure. Do you think he'll have to play on though to be a Hall of Famer? Or do you think he can just stop right now? Uh I think his case will be better if he stops right now, to be honest. Mm. I I mean, yeah. You could talk about him being a thoroughly a, a, a charger all the way through his career, retiring a charger, and I feel like that cements his legacy more than playing one more year in Tampa Bay. And what if it goes wrong? I mean, what if it's just awful? I mean, they have great receivers. Mm-hmm. They have a pretty, they have a pretty crap O line though. I mean, I don't. Tampa Bay's offensive line is terrible. Um, and then you got Indianapolis's. The receiving room is terrible. There's no, there's no really perfect fit either either way there. Um, but maybe it's selfish. Maybe it's just me being selfish and saying just retire um, a Charger. Don't play somewhere else. Yeah, I think you know as far as his Hall of Fame chances goes, really the only thing that he could go and do, which would cement his Hall of Fame chances more, is win a Super Bowl, and. I don't really think that's possible in Indianapolis or in Tampa Bay. You know, I think Indianapolis has a lot of question marks like Jason is saying with the receiver room and maybe they at 13, they can take like a CD lamb, but you know, rookie receivers tend to take a little bit. And so I don't think Tampa Bay is Super Bowl worthy either. I think they've got a lot of question marks just besides offensive line. Um, you know, they have their tight end situation where they kind of, 
uh, have Cameron Brait and uh, OJ Howard, who are both solid, but they're not great. Their defense isn't great. Their secondary is generally awful. Um, they're great against the run on defense, but you know every single receiver that goes to and plays Tampa Bay torches them. So, like Jason's saying, I kind of think that his legacy would be hurt more if he went and to, went to Tampa Bay and they have a seven and nine season. Like, does that really help him? Not really. So, you know, winning a Super Bowl that would help him, but I think that's pretty much the only thing that he can do to to help his case in the Hall of Fame. And I don't think the Colts or Tampa Bay are anywhere close to a Super Bowl, to be honest. I don't I don't see it. Yeah, even in the AFC, like you put Rivers on Indianapolis and let's say you draft CeeDee Lamb, are they better than the Chiefs? No. Are they better than the Texans? Probably not. Are they better than the Patriots if the Patriots have Tom Brady? No. Are they better than the Chargers with a with Tyrod Taylor quarterback? Maybe. Maybe. So I think best case for the Colts right there, if you get Rivers, is maybe they're the, a wild card team. So he, he'd be in a similar situation as he is in L.A. with a, you know, a borderline wild card team. So you know, I, I have my doubts. I think as a Chargers fan, I would absolutely, if he stopped right now, I would absolutely put him in the Hall of Fame. But that's completely biased opinion. Obviously, I'm going to put possibly the greatest Charger of all time and the guy that we all grew up He's watching. in. Put him in. No, I, I think so, too. <laughs> I, I personally think so, and it seems like a lot of players players kind of like love Rivers and say, like, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. If you know anything about football, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. But the Super Bowl's very elusive. So, I mean, is there a chance he's not? I think he gets in. I don't know if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer because there's mm-hmm. they're so competitive and it kind of would depend. You know, right now, if he retires, then there's the natural comparison with Eli, which I kind of hate, you know, like, like 10 times out of 10, I would rather have Rivers than Eli, but Eli has the Super Bowl. So um, I think it would kind of depend on on who else is in the class, but he's top 10 in passing in passing yards. He's top 10 in like consecutive games played. He has all the numbers and statistics to back it up. It's just he doesn't have a Super Bowl. You know what? This is such bull crap. <laughs> I, I hate this. I hate this crap. He's a Hall of Famer, everybody. Let's, let's stop with this crap. There's like this thing where where these players and these coaches and these analysts and these GMs are all like, yeah, let's put Rivers in the Hall of Fame. Rivers is a Hall of Famer. And then you got these these BS fans that that think they have a say in whether my quarterback is making it into the Hall of Fame or not. Isn't that? No. No. Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer. Get used to it. He's in. It's over. This conversation is not happening anymore. He is He is in. Stop. But then the well said. yeah no absolutely wow, you're very passionate I thought you liked Jordan Love but I guess you like this Philip Rivers guy a little bit <laughs> I, I, he's all right he's okay no, I think I think Jason's spot on you know I everyone was gonna bring up the lack of Super Bowls but are we really gonna blame him for the extreme circumstances mm-hmm. that happened in 2006 and 2007 that kept him from winning a Super Bowl like I certainly don't and you know if you have one Marlon McCree non fumble yep. he probably wins the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have Nate Kading in the in the playoffs, you probably win a Super Bowl. So, you know, I think so much of winning a Super Bowl is just pure luck. And I think with, you know, you compare him to Eli Manning, Eli Manning had the luckiest play of literally all time, of all football. Yep. And that won him a Super Bowl in 2007. If, you, if he doesn't make that throw to David Tyree, who pins it against his helmet, which had like a one in a hundred chance of happening, he doesn't have a Super Bowl. So, so much of winning a Super Bowl is luck and health, and Rivers has never had that. He's never had luck on his side. But 
you watch him play like there's that passion there's the numbers there's the impact that he had on other teammates and on his community and isn't that what a hall of famer is about is putting a whole picture together as an individual and as a player and rivers has done that so what he doesn't have two super bowls like eli manning he's a far better player than eli manning and i would take him 100 times over 100 that over eli manning no doubt i don't like you eli manning <laughs> I just want to throw that in there. Gosh, who was it that said that the Chargers gave – was it uh, – what's his name? They gave up on Eli or something Adam like Rank. that? Holy cow. He's a fantasy football guy, and I like fantasy football sure. versus the next one, but his regular football takes are outrageously bad. They're awful. They're, and I think Didn't part he of say it, that the Niners were going to win like four games this yes. year and the Bears <laughs> were going to win 12? Oh. Yeah. Oh. I'm like, dude, stick to fantasy football. Like, There's so much analytics and stuff that goes into him, but like – his actual football takes are terrible. Okay, this isn't a hate on Adam Rank podcast. <laughs> we gotta move on. Okay, I'm at you, Adam Rank. Yeah, for sure. We're coming for you. We got we got 704 followers, man. We're growing. <laughs> Retweet yeah, us for sure. Thank you, Josh, once again for your question. If you'd like to get your question talked about in a podcast, you can join the three dollar tier for our Patreon Q and A, where we take a bunch of your questions and turn them into one podcast. Or if you want your podcast your podcast topic expanded on within our regular podcast, you can join the $20 tier. If you'd like to join our Patreon, you can find the link to our Patreon page in the description of the Guilty as Charged podcast Twitter account. So before we move any more forward, we are going to stop right here and move on to an interview with Nitain Muti out of Fresno State that Stephen had the opportunity to interview. And without further ado, here we are. All right, Chargers fans, it is my pleasure here to be here today with uh, former Fresno State offensive lineman, Nitain Muti. Uh, how you doing, Nitain? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking and thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. Um, be so, you, you know, you're playing at Fresno State. Maybe you're not the most well-known guy to Chargers fans or just a, to the casual NFL fan. Yeah. Uh, so if you could just take a few seconds and kind of describe your your game as an offensive lineman and and help people get familiar with with who you are as a player. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, like you said, I'm an offensive lineman at Fresno State. Uh, most people don't really know me because I, uh, I played not that much games because <laughs> uh, my college career, I I got injured uh, most of the time, so. I didn't get to play that much, but I mean, as an offensive lineman, I like to, you know, uh, when I go out there, I like to dominate every play, like mm-hmm. run or pass. So, I mean, that's the kind of player I am. And a player that I really look up to is uh, Quentin Nelson. I try to mock his game a lot because I feel like he's the best that at like, he has everything that uh, offensive lineman needs like so I try to really you know uh copy his game and yeah that's I feel like that's the type of player I want to be in that's who I am that's a great goal and that's a great comparison um this past year I went and saw Nelson play when they came to LA and and he's impressive and he's like he's he is a large man and yeah. <laughs> um, he is just so physical at the point of attack. So I think that's a great comparison for you. Mm-hmm. So how is your health doing now? I know you had your uh, Liz Frank injury this past season. How's rehab going? How's your health? Yeah. So it's going good right now. So 
I mean, I just started, I, I've been uh, running now. So, I mean, but at the combine, uh, I'm not really going to do any running because I, I want to be like, when I go out there and perform, I want to be 100%. I want to yeah, be, sure. you know, I want to be able to like do my best. You know, I want to show them my best. I don't want to show them like anything less than that. So, I mean, at the combine, I'll be uh, just doing interviews, medical checkups and the bench. Yeah, so I'm excited yeah, for I, that. Yeah, that's definitely the right decision. And if I were you, I think I would do the same thing. Yeah. Um. So you did play your whole freshman year. Yeah. And you played every game that year, right? Mm-hmm. So I went back and watched a little bit of that tape, and I went and watched your guys' game against Alabama. Yeah. And so that that was your second start. Can you kind of yeah. take me through that game and kind of some some main takeaways you had from playing at Alabama the year after they won the national championship and you're just this freshman coming in? Yeah, what did you learn from that from that process. <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a very fun experience. Uh, I mean, not uh, like just started playing football my ninth grade year. No, not my ninth grade. My tenth grade year. You didn't uh, play football until you were a sophomore in high school. Yeah. It was, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really know, like, I'm not from America. I'm from Tonga. I was born there. So I don't, I don't really know like college football like that. So like Alabama, like, I don't like that. Yeah, you didn't just really, didn't, I just didn't register really probably. Yeah. I just heard they were good. And I was like, all right, you know, <laughs> and like being able to play at that environment, it really opened my eyes. Like. I didn't really know who those guys were. Like I, 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 I mean, I obviously scouted them, but I really know they were like, you know, You're like Deron Payne. I yeah, <laughs> I mean, I heard of them, but you know, <laughs> so it was a fun experience. Uh, definitely, like the environment. I mean, like coming out, come coming to that locker room. Like they were like throwing beer at me and. It was crazy. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> it, but I'm just like, that, that excites me. Like that type of stuff, like makes me, you know, it makes me angry, but I, I like hold it in and like, you know, <laughs> but like just going out there and going up against them, like when they first came out, I was like, dang, <laughs> these guys are big. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's going to be a long game. <laughs> But you know, I that's just went crazy. out there with yeah, a mindset, like most- you know, that yeah, I, I just went out there with a mindset of just dominating. I just, you know, every play I didn't care who you were, you know. So I feel like that really helped a lot. And I mean, that's just the type of person I am. I just like to dominate. <laughs> so that's just what I went out and tried to express. I love that. And that's like the most offensive lineman thing I've ever heard. Like they're pouring beer on you and you just don't care. You just want to go and dominate. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of hyped me up actually. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah. So you actually had this play against Deron Payne where uh, you were, you pass that against him and he kind of tried to jump up and bat the ball down and you just like took him down. Yeah. And I think that physicality that you're talking about, like that, that just go out and dominate. Like I think it really shows. Yeah. Um, but you're also a pretty quick guy. When you get out on the edges, you can make some plays with your feet, with your athleticism. Mm-hmm. Is that just kind of a natural thing for you? Have all, have you always been that good of an athlete? I mean, when growing up in Tonga, we didn't really have football. We played rugby most of the time. So, I mean, mm-hmm. 
in rugby, you everybody gets a chance to run the ball, you know. <laughs> so you yeah. gotta, yeah, you gotta actually have like everything. You you gotta tackle, you gotta pass the ball, you gotta run the ball. So I mean, I guess that kind of translates. <laughs> yeah, I guess I never really thought of that. That's, that's yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so then you go to Hawaii, you play high school football in Hawaii, right? Yes. How did the the process of uh, playing football happen, and, and what kind of what experiences you have as a as a high school football player? Yeah, so I I mean when I actually got to Hawaii my first time because I, I I came to Hawaii my first time in two thousand seven, mm-hmm. and I went to middle school and like the I hated it like my first year I hated it. I went to school and like everybody was making fun of me because I I didn't really know how to speak English. It wasn't that good. (laughs) And so, you know, I mean, and also my school was terrible. I had FDs. I didn't know what they were talking about. (laughs) They actually had a teacher follow me to every class and like try to explain to me stuff, but it didn't work out. So I told my mom I wanted to go back to Tonga. And so she sent me back. And then I ended up uh, missing my family again and then came back for high school. That's when I came back for high school and I kind of knew what to expect. And like, I, I like transformed everything like 180, you know, I tried to like, cause I knew what I was expecting and stuff. So, I mean, I tried to really work on my English and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and then my, I didn't really know f- football that much still. So my uh my freshman year my ninth grade year uh i had joined marching band and no so way. yeah i was in the marching band and like we would play for the football team like every game right so yeah yeah throughout that i was watching i mean i thought it was fun so i just decided to go my next year so i went my 10th grade year and <laughs> i just started falling in love with it and I also did wrestling and track but then my uh 11th grade year is when I was like okay I I really want to do this football thing I've you know so I dedicated myself I I wrote down my goals and it was to play in NFL you know so that's when I just decided to just change everything I quit wrestling quit uh marching band quit track and just dedicated myself i was uh like 185 pounds my junior year and then my senior year i was 275 so i just dedicated that whole time to just football because i wanted to go play d1 you know and eventually make it to the nfl man that is that is a crazy story yeah (laughs) and now you're 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 right there. You're super close to the goal. Yeah. Um, so how does it feel to be this close? I mean, you've worked so hard. Like you said, you've gone through all this adversity in high school and middle school, even in college, you know, you didn't have the the smoothest college experience because of your yeah. injuries. So how's this feel getting so close to the NFL? Uh, it feels, it feels good. It feels amazing. You know, uh, all glory to God. I made it this far, you know, that's part of the reason why I left early is because I really want to chase my dreams. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I want the best for me. I want the best, you know, I know the uh, NFL has like the best training staff, you know, so I really feel like they could take care of me. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I left because, 
you know, they have they have the best doctors, they have the best trainers. So I really feel like they could really, you know, take care of uh take care of me in the in the next level. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really I think honestly that was a really good decision for you, just my outsider's opinion. Yeah. Um so you played for Jeff Tedford at Fresno State. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an outstanding reputation and you know, he sent a lot of people to the NFL from you know, when he as uh, coach at Cal. Yeah. Um, what were some kind of your takeaways from playing for Tedford and what did he mean for you as a, as a player? Yeah. When he first came in, uh, he set a goal. Everybody like believed in it. Everybody was all in for it. And I mean, that whole, we went from one and 11 and just totally changed it around, you know, when he came in, cause everybody was bought in and he was all about details you know, he, he really, like, dug in on that for us. And I feel like that's how we, you know, made it that far with him is because we always – he always, like, tried to, you know, put that in us and just set the standards and just paid attention to every details. And I feel like that really helped us out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, with with a guy like Ted Free, you know that you're going to get some good good leaders that come to the next level. and. And you were yeah. actually a captain this past year, right? Yes, I was. That's awesome. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, really what I'm trying to do here is kind of, you know, just inform our listeners what kind of person you are and what kind of player you are. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you have all these experiences that paint this picture of just this guy that really wants to get after, just wants to get after it and, and yeah. loves football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you're going to be a really good NFL player. You know, I wish you the best with your with your health. Yes, I appreciate um, first that. and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just let uh, Chargers fans know where they can find you, and 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 then we'll kind of just go from there. Uh, wait, what do you mean find like on the like on on Twitter and stuff? Oh, okay, yes, yeah. So my Twitter is uh, netane underscore muti fifty two, and it's spelled N E T A N E underscore M U T I, and then fifty two. And then my Instagram is five underscore deuce, the, the word deuce, and then underscore. So, awesome, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for that, Neat Team. Um, mm-hmm. really, appreciate you stop, really appreciate you stopping by, and we wish you the, nothing but the best at the next level. I appreciate you. Thank you. And there it is. That was Neatain Muti, who did us the honor of coming onto the show and letting us pick at his brain a little bit. And we are very appreciative of all the prospects that have come onto the show. And um, there's a lot of stuff in store for the future. And it's been a real pleasure being able to interview these guys. And so without further ado, back to the show. All right, so moving on to the good stuff. We're talking today about offensive guard and center. Later on in the week, we'll be talking about tackles. Uh, Right now, this position is a little bit in flux for the Chargers right now. You know, you have Dan Feeney, Forrest Lamp, Scott Questenberry, and Mike Pouncey set to return. Michael Schofield, who was last year's starter at right guard. Uh, he's a prime candidate to return, but we're not really sure. And then rounding out the group are Coda Martin and Cole Toner at guard. So there's a few questions here. Uh, first off, what is Forrest Lamp going to bring in 2020? Uh, we'd all like him to start. We'd all like him to do well. But can the Chargers even count on him? And then number two, should they even re-sign Schofield? Because although he is one of their better offensive linemen, and I'll go to bat for him, and I don't mind if they resign him, he's not irreplaceable either. 
and I'm not sure how much money the Chargers can allocate towards the entire offensive line. And then the big one, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit, is it Questenberry or Pouncey at center? And whoever it is, would either of them be willing to play guard so they can both stick with the team? Uh, as far as salaries go, Pouncey has a cap hit of $7.25 million, whereas Questenberry, Lamp, and Feeney make less than $4 million this year. So cutting Pouncey is a big deal for the Chargers. They can jump from $48.7 million in cap space to 54.7. Um, it may be tough for the Chargers to put all their eggs in one basket and roll with Questenberry, um, but I don't see a scenario where Pouncey just sits and does nothing with that with that cap hit. Um, so I just wanted to ask you guys, what do you think they're going to do? Who's, I guess if you had to if you had to guess what they're going to do with the players they had from last year, give me an offensive line based on what you think, based on the the talent that was there Ooh. last year. So the question here really is going to come down to for me whether or not you want Mike Pouncey back or Michael Schofield back. Um, I think they will have negotiations with Schofield. I think it's certainly worth bringing him back. Um, but there is a slight chance that he might sign for at least close to what Pouncey is making, so I could see them kind of electing to not keep Schofield. Um, my preference would be to move on from Mike Pouncey and keep Schofield because I want, Squawk, I want Scott Questenberry at starting center. I think he... The return of squat. Of squat, yes. Squat has... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, so I want Scott Questenberry at starting center. I think he offers the most upside and the most mobility and physicality at the starting center position. I think Mike Pouncey is solid, um, but there is also a question mark of whether or not he can play a full season or not. So I think my preference would be to have Questenberry at center, Schofield at right guard, and then probably a rookie at right tackle, and then Lamp at left guard, and Okung at left tackle. I think I'm starting fresh. Honestly, I think I think I'm going Pipkins at left tackle, Lamp at left guard, uh, Q at center, and I want a, both a rookie at the right guard and right tackle spots. I I want to I want the line to look nothing like 2019. I want it to be completely different. Um, and we'll talk about what what linemen we could want as rookies later on. But um, in terms of keeping guys where they are, I I think I'd be okay with keeping Pouncey as like a guard. But can he play guard? I have no idea. He's never he's never played it in at the NFL level. I don't think. Uh, I know Questenberry is actually listed as a guard on the depth chart for a lot of the season until uh, until all the injuries stacked up, and then they moved him to center. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I don't like the thought of rolling back into the season with, uh, with the same players that got injured in the season prior. I kind of want to move away from the injuries. I'm, I'm kind of done with them. I don't want any more injuries along this offensive line, even lamp to an extent. I'm just tired of it. I mean, I still have faith in lamp. I still like Okung when he's healthy. I mean, he didn't look that good even when he was healthy this year. I thought, I thought he had problems as well. I thought he came back too soon, honestly. He might have. Uh, they really needed him to, though. They were struggling. They were they were on the brink, and uh, there was there was a game or two where he looked good, like he looked like the Okung that we had missed. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I can't. How much is he owed? Like he's owed ten million plus this season, isn't he? And um, I think to just start fresh with a new offensive line. Uh, 
and and kind of reset. I don't want to. I don't want to. Definition of insanity, guys. I'm just yep. yeah. kind of tired of no, it. I, I totally get where you're coming from, and I think there is some value in doing that. I think, you know, in today's day and age of football, I think you need at least one veteran guy to kind of um, shoulder a little, the load of, of leadership. And you know, if you have if you have to pick one of Okung, Pouncey, and Schofield to come back, I think my personal preference would be Schofield just because of that dependability factor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we never really know. Okung has played 15 games a couple of times, but he's never played a full season. It's been a long time since Mike Pouncey has played a full season. So, And if you cut Okung and you cut Pouncey, then you free up a, a good chunk of cap space that they can use uh, in other in other positions. Um, I'm, I like Schofield. I think Schofield is at least good i think he has he ever been hurt has he ever missed like a game with the chargers schofield i don't believe so no i don't not the last two years i can't think of one not the last two years so you like you have that dependability factor and his his ceiling is incredibly high but he was from games one to 16 he was the best offensive lineman i think questenberry offers much more upside but he played the whole season he graded out by pro football focus as elite several times um, and I think it's, I'm okay bringing Schofield back at 7 million and cutting Okung and cutting Pouncey. And I think that is the direction that they should go. Um, I think per, Okung, I think Okung is back. I think the team really values him and I think, I think they will, they will keep him and, and hopefully he's healthy, but I think Okung is probably the most likely to stay of those three. I take an, I take a healthy Okung over Pipkins all day. Sure. I just think with that dependability, it's so important for offensive lines to have that, that continuity, Mm -hmm. um, especially with the chemistry that you always hear about from these veteran alignment, that this chemistry is really important and that they know each other and know what, what's going to like how the other is going to pick up a a stunt. And um, with, with all the movement on that O line, I mean, you gotta think Trent Scott played right tackle and left tackle and Trey Pipkins played right tackle and left tackle and then Lamp was playing some left guard. Feeney was playing center, and Feeney was playing left guard. And then you had Questenberry. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. I don't. I mean, I can't. I mean, if you want to get technical, Lamp even played a left tackle, st- <laughs> left tackle snap. So <laughs> there was no continuity there at all. Zero. Like yeah. Schofield was the only guy that was there from the first snap to the last snap on the season. He's the only guy. Yeah, so I think that's definitely something that you need to figure out. Like, um, you know, they're showing that they're not afraid to move on from veteran guys. Um, so I think they should cut one of Okung or Pouncey. Um, I would prefer it to be Pouncey just because of you have that bona fide center of the future already in, in Questenberry. But there are certainly a lot of – I think you have a, a lot of question marks at right tackle and at left guard at minimum. But then you have – you could potentially be – having four new starters and offensive line and Questenberry be the only starter back from last year. Jeez, that's crazy to think about. And whatever they do, whether they start fresh or keep the same guys and try to develop them or some combination of both, they're in a pretty good spot. They just uh, signed James Campen, which is a big deal. Uh, from 2007-2017, he was the Packers' offensive line coach. Um, one of the, And the first thing I heard about him when he was signed is that this guy takes mid-range guys, mid-round guys, and develops them. You got Scott Wells. I don't know half of these names in the early ones, so I apologize. This is from good old Wikipedia. Scott Wells, Pro Bowl 2011, drafted in the seventh round. Josh Sitton, drafted in the fourth round, made the Pro Bowl. 
Uh, he had Jeff Saturday make the Pro Bowl, but that's not really a really a Packers thing. They just kind of he was already good. And then I uh, sitting again, sitting again, and then T.J. Lang drafted in the fourth round of the 2009 draft. So if he's if anyone's gonna make Pipkin work, Pipkins work, and this is just, that was just guards and centers by the way, not tackles. But if anyone's gonna make guys like Pipkins or Feeney, Questenberry, whatever work, it seems like Camp is a good bet. All right, so let's move on to the draft. But before we get into the class of guards, are there any offensive tackles within this class you feel can transition to guard? Because the Chargers are sitting about at the spot where they took Forrest Lamp in 2017. Just last year, you see Dalton Reisner selected with the ninth pick in the second round. So they're in a sweet spot for that guys that can play tackle but are maybe better suited for guard spot in the second round. So are there any names that stand out that you can bring up? Yeah, so I think... You know, when you're talking about a uh, tackle moving to guard, you know, there is a certain kind of profile that you're looking for. Someone that's probably 6'3", 6'4", not overly tall, a little bit more com- more compact, and really someone that excels um, with their mobility and athleticism. So um, the first one that I think is, is kind of my natural thought here is Ben Bartsch from St. John's University. Um, I think he could succeed as a tackle. You know, I think we saw that at the Senior Bowl where he was able to to really go at some guys and win one-on-one battles. Um, but he is definitely mobile enough, and St. John's really used him as a pulling tackle, and they got him out on the edges, they got him out in the screen game, and really took advantage of that mobility. And I think he, like I said, I think he can succeed as a tackle, but I think he could probably be a little bit better suited as a guard just because he doesn't have uh, overly long arms and he's not super tall. Um, which you're kind of looking for your tackles to be six five and above and have long arms just to be able to have that reach to to get to edge rushers and be able to set that edge and and be able to control guys. Um, so I think he could succeed, but I think he's probably better suited as a guard. So I'm looking at some of the sizes of the other guys on this list, and um, I see six five a few times and. Uh, cl- Ezra Cleveland is going to be my guy here where I plug in. And um, I actually love Cleveland as a tackle, but I think he could be a guy that comes in as a guard. He's listed as 6'6", 310, which is uh, a foot taller than one of the more popular guards in this class with uh, Ben Bredesen. And um, he's a really athletic and nimble guy for his size. And um that's that's why I think he can make the move to guard is because he he's a great blocker in space he's he has the athleticism to go on pulls and reaches um, he's got good reach and punch which you like out of your tackle um, but the, the, one of the reasons I like him more as a guard than a tackle I like him a lot as a tackle but I, I like him more as a guard is because he does have a little bit of sloppy footwork uh, placement mm-hmm. with his feet in general. And so I would like him to see. I would like him to be a little less isolated out on an island with those faster rushers. Uh, see him um, seeing him at guard would make me more comfortable because that sloppy footwork can get him in trouble. And it, I'm I'm sure it could be fixed, but um, I, I I like his potential at guard more than I like his potential at tackle. Yeah, having a having a six seven guard would be uh, definitely unique. There's not a lot of those around. Um, but generally speaking, someone that is mobile enough but kind of struggles with speed rushers um kind of you want to switch them down into a guard position and i think that kind of what the chargers have been seeing with forest lamp is where he kind of struggles with speed rushers so you know you move him down and put them in a better position where they can rely on their athleticism a little bit better there um so i think as a cleveland like 
you know, he is six seven, but I don't think he has the longest arms. He doesn't have a great reach, um, but he does make a lot of good plays, good plays in space and um, in the screen game and, and kind of pulling out to the edges. So I, th- I I like that comparison as well. All right, so now we're going to go through the 2020 draft class of guards and centers. Here's what's going to happen. Jason and Steven are going to bring up guys they like uh, through each day of the draft. We're not, like, not going to go through like the receivers and go through each round of the draft. Just some guys they like on day one, guys they like on day two, and some day three guys that could be looking to pick up. So I leave it up to you guys. All right, so we're going to include centers here with the interior offensive line. Um, really the sweet spot for this class is, is probably in rounds two through four. Um, there aren't a lot of guys I like in, in round one, and there aren't very many in, in the later rounds either. But there are a lot of quality linemen that you can find in, in rounds two through four. Um, I think the key things that we're looking for here, you know, first and foremost is mobility. And I think the Chargers really rely on mobility and lateral mobility and athleticism to get their guards and centers in space, be able to get to the next level and create running lanes that way. Um, so that's kind of what the Chargers have been known for. That's what Scott Questenberry, Mike Pouncey have done so well is uh, is get in space and be able to make plays with their athleticism. Um, you also want to look for players who are really good at the point of attack, players who don't necessarily need help with double teams, who can obviously push players around. Um, a little bit different than tackles where you want them in one-on-one positions and you want them relying on their footwork and athleticism to to kind of be on an island. You know, you want players in the in middle who can set a good pocket with their strength and push guys down the field as well. Um, so I think one player who could potentially go in round one is uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, the center out of LSU. Um, he's 6'3", 312. And the thing that you like with Cushenberry is he's got elite quickness from the center position. Um, he probably has the fastest first step of any center that I've seen on film this year. Uh, he can really get to that next level and get his hands on guys really fast, and he's got really quick feet. Um, he doesn't have the strongest initial punch, and what I mean by that is when he gets his hands onto his on his assignment. He doesn't have that knockout punch capability, but um, once he does get his hands on you, he doesn't. He, you don't get past him. You know, he's he's like a glove where it's it's not going to happen. Um, but the reason that I think you could see him get into round one is his mental ability and leadership capability um coaches and analysts really raved about that this year and i think that you know there's a lot to like with cushionberry because he is such a good leader and um has that good mental capacity where he can set protections and and be that kind of player where he um really does everything in the line of scrimmage that you want so my my day one uh guy is um he doesn't exist. Uh, I I don't like any interior O line in, in day one, at least not in terms of value. I definitely have guys I like that I would be okay with taking them in round one if that's where their value was. But it's not where their value is. Um, this is just a really nice way of saying I don't like any any interior O line in round one. Don't do it. It's it's not a good idea. Uh, even Lloyd Cushenberry, I'm just not okay with it. I, I, no, skip pass. <laughs> I, I I legitimately wrote um as my day one pick. Um, I don't know who that is, but lucky them. Yeah, I think Cushenberry probably is is really the one that I could see it happening. 
Um, but the first round, the players in the first round are, are much better in other areas. You know, you have a lot of good receivers, a lot of good offensive tackles, a lot of good defensive tackles, a lot of good corners. You're probably going to have at least four or five quarterbacks. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if you don't see. There's no Quentin Nelson in this class. There's no um, player like that that can come in immediately as a guard and start day one, and, and you're totally fine with it. Um, so, like I was saying earlier, it's rounds two through four, where is the sweet spot that you're going to find a guard or a center that you like. So, Jason, do you want to go with your round two person? So, man, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce this man's name. Um, my, my, my day two guy is going to be Tyler Biadaz. Is that it? Biadaz? Yeah, I think, that, right. I think that's right, yeah. He's got a good frame and good power to go with that frame. He's really compact. Um, that center we were talking about earlier, somebody who with a decent mobility uh, and is compact that the Chargers look for. I think Biadaz is that. Um, he's got good hand placement on the initial punch, and so I think that technique is, is pretty good, um, especially for the more agile rushers that he goes against. He works really well against them. And he's got solid footwork. It's not It's not the best. It's not like he has elite technique or anything like that, but he does have solid footwork. And it's something that could definitely be coached up well, especially with the Chargers' new O-line coach that they got. And um, I think one downside with Biadaz is he's a little inconsistent against the bull, rush, the bull rushers. And um, I think uh, it's in part due to a little bit of a sketchy base. I, it's not very... It, it's just... Uh, he didn't show a lot of power there with his base. It wasn't very consistent in terms of uh, in in terms of that foot placement, but his footwork on the move in general is very solid. Yeah, I like Bidas a lot. Um, he's a guy I could definitely see sneaking into round one, um, or at least that was the case. I think now he's more viewed as a third round or fourth round pick, which you know I get. But uh, if you can get a guy like Bidas in the fourth round, I think you're pretty set, and I think you have at worst a solid backup. Um, so my guy too in. Round two that I could see happening is Nitain Muti, uh, who I just interviewed. You just heard that interview. Um, he's out of Fresno State, and he's 6'3", 307. Um, what you like about Nitain Muti is he's got really good quickness. He's got a good first step, um, and he he's a dog. He's really nasty when he gets out as a pulling guard, and, and he can lay dudes out. And he started as a freshman, which we talked about, and, um, you know, he's got – some really nasty plays where he just lays dudes out. Uh, he does have good footwork. It's not great. But the thing that you don't like about Muti is his not necessarily inexperience, but he's only played five games over the last two years, which, you know, we talked about his, his injury concerns that have happened over the last couple of years. Um, so I think a bit of his inconsistency with his footwork and technique can be chalked up to not playing a whole lot of games, frankly. Um, but when he was a freshman, he was, uh, I don't want to mention all conference. And I think he probably should have been all conference for the mountain West as a freshman. He was just so good. And their second game, which we talked about was against Alabama and there was no fear. He came out and he just, and he was laying dudes out even against Alabama. So, um, there are some red flags with his injury concerns, but if you're looking for a guy that has the highest ceiling of these guards, I like Muti a lot. All right, so my, my other day two pick is going to be Robert Hunt. Now, Hunt is listed at 6'5", 336, and he's a powerful dude. He, he has some power to him with that size. Um, and uh, he might he might not work the best against uh, more agile guys, kind of similar 
uh, well, kind of opposite of Biadas. Um, but when, you, when you're talking about a traditional guard with power, um, I think Hunt can be that. He's got solid footwork, and he's got good mobility to complement that power, especially when it gets to the second level and such. He can really go through linebackers with ease. And so if, if the Chargers are looking for a little bit more of a, a change of pace there, they could go with Hunt. And uh, I, I like that a lot more than going with maybe another one, of, another Dan Feeney or another Forrest Lamp, somebody looking for mobility. Uh, Dan Feeney was supposed to be that powerful guy, but ended up being just kind of more of the same for the Chargers. I would like the change of pace going with Hunt. So Robert Hunt did play tackle at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, he does have that positional flexibility where he could play different positions. I think, like Jason saying, he probably is suited as a, as a guard. And he's even listed as an interior offensive lineman on the draft network and other websites for mock draft purposes. Um, but if all you watch of Robert Hunt is his game against Mississippi State from this last year, you know, you'll get a, a glimpse of the kind of tools that he has at the next level. So my last uh, day two pick is going to be Matt Hennessy. He's a center out of Temple. Um, he's 6'4", 302, and he plays he played center as a freshman, but and he's played both guard spots. So again, this is another guy that has um, positional versatility where he can, you know, shift across the line and play multiple positions. Um, of the interior offensive line, I think Hennessy is probably the best athlete. You know, he's incredibly smooth and natural when it comes to his footwork and when, when it comes to getting up to the next level on linebackers and out in the screen game. And I think, you know, he has just this natural athleticism about him. Um, that being said, he really struggles with bull rushes, uh, similar to Biedaz, but I think he's a little better of an athlete. Um, but there were times when he lined up at center and you put a big run stuffing guy in front of him and he really struggled. So um, he has all the tools athletically to succeed in the NFL, but I think he probably is a better fit with a zone running scheme where he doesn't have to get after guys at the point of attack and you know he can rely on his uh, guards to help him out. And I think he probably needs some good guards next to him where he can – uh, get some help on next on in executing double teams. All right, so moving on to uh, day three, and uh, I'll start it off with Ben Bredesen out of Michigan. And so Bredesen is listed at six five three fifteen, so another bigger guy. And um, Bredesen is a really strong anchor, and he's very versatile. I think he played a t- tackle a couple times in a pinch, and so he's somebody I can I really want uh, as, on the Chargers just because of that versatility you never know with the chargers which lineman is going to get hurt to be honest and so having a guy that can be versatile and move like this uh kind of like what forest lamp was supposed to be um would be great moving forward because if you if you get another guy if you get a rookie right tackle um but you don't address left tackle maybe you keep pipkins there maybe it's okung if you, got, if you bring in a guy like Bredesen and Pipkins are, is struggling or Okung is hurt and, and Pipkins is struggling, God forbid, then Bredesen is somebody you can plug in. And um, so that versatility is something I value a lot. And that and that ability to anchor with that power there is just is something that I think the Chargers need. Now, the, the downside to Bredesen is he is a limited athlete overall. And so quicker rushers are just going to are, are going to win in general. Uh, his strength really is power, which is why he should probably stick to guard and why I say tackle would probably be needed in like a, a, a rough situation. It shouldn't be his main position. But 
against those powerful guys uh, in the middle, he'll be just fine. It's the it's the quick guys I'm worried about do that due to that athleticism. He is going to struggle to to get to the next level consistently. So um, I like Bredesen as an anchor, not necessarily as like a, a downfield blocker. Yeah, that's something to point out um, when it comes to day three of of the draft. You know, generally speaking, when you get to this spot when it comes to offensive linemen you're not going to get the best kind of athletes like a Hennessy Amuti a Biedaz or even a Cushenberry generally speaking you're going to get guys who have excelled as strong anchors or um, just our physical presences but are not necessarily the best athletes Um, so my guy here is going to be Daryl Williams Um, he's a center out of Mississippi State he did play guard his freshman year so there's a little bit of versatility uh, if you're sensing a theme here, it's really we're looking for guys who can play multiple multiple positions and excel at those positions. Um, similar to Bredesen, he Williams is really strong. It's really hard to get around him once he latches on, and um, he has good mobility. It's not it's not terrible. He, you know he can get to the next level. Um, but what you like about Williams is his overall motor and scrappiness. I think he could be a good four or five year starter just because he has such a high motor and he's always he's always going. Um, he isn't the most flexible guy and he kind of struggles with blitz pickups and, and stunts just because of his lack of flexibility and his lack of athleticism in that area. So there is some concerns, but if you're drafting a backup center behind Questenberry or a backup guard, you know you could do much worse than Darrell Williams. Yeah, Darrell Williams is a guy I. I even considered as like a day two guy uh, back in October. He he definitely had a rough stretch last year that brought that stock down. But uh, I would I would be stoked if Daryl Williams was a was a late pick for the Chargers. I mean, I I think he has potential. I I don't I don't think he has elite potential, but I I do think he has potential moving forward, and I do think that he could be a, a strong centerpiece for an offensive line. Um, so my my last day three guy is going to be Yasir Durant out of Missouri. This dude is huge for a guard. He's 6'7", 330 pounds at left guard. That's ridiculous. Uh, I, did, I don't know how uh, Kelly Bryant didn't hit him in the back of the helmet sometimes. <laughs> like, this dude is huge. And the fact that he's huge and can move the way he does yeah. is is weird. He, he, they use... So Missouri had a six-seven left guard that they would pull. They would design plays around a six-seven, three hundred thirty-pound guard pulling, and that just immediately popped out to me. I was like, "What is going on here? Why? Why? Why is the? You'd think he'd play left tackle, but he was he was a good left guard. Honestly, I enjoyed watching his tape, and uh, he's he's a good anchor there. Um, he he was really the the solid piece of that line. I thought left tackle, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I thought that entire line was kind of like a, eh. but, uh, you Durant was a real bright spot there. And I actually caught him while I was watching Kelly Bryant tape. And, um, it, it would seem like Kelly Bryant was dancing in the backfield around all these, all these rushers. And then you just see this one guy on the screen, this one guy wearing that black and yellow, that's holding his guy. That's, that's doing well. He's like on an Island all by himself with like an entirely different play. Um, I can't remember which game it was. I think it might've been, I think it might've been, um, against Wyoming. I could be wrong. Uh, but I thought he was, I thought he was an illegal man downfield because the rest of the Mizzou line was like 10 yards back and Kelly Bryant was running for his life. And then you had Yasir Durant 
standing at the line of scrimmage, holding his guy there. I'm like, okay, all right. So, so he's good. Um, he's got quick feet. He's got some mobility on him despite his size and he can get to the next level. Like I said earlier, he, they schemed around him pulling, which is insane. Um, one knock I do have against him is spins to the interior, uh, side of him, uh, spins inside uh, and bull rushes. He, he tends to struggle with them at times. And, um, really now that I think about it, any interior moves that go inside of him, he's, he'll struggle with, he, he did have, he does get pushed back by some bull rush moves. Um, uh, maybe because of that height, he just didn't have a low enough base at times. And so it's something he can definitely fix. Uh, but at that height at guard, you can't really blame him. Sometimes you're going against these six, one speed D tackles. And so mm-hmm. it, it can be rough as a guard listed at six, seven to, to get down to that six, one, six, two level. Um, so I, I really like Durant. I would love if the Chargers picked him up. He honestly, out of all these guys we've listed so far, he would probably be the one I want. I, I really want Yasir Durant. Yeah. And he's, and again, with this theme of, of positional versatility, he played tackle for a little bit for Missouri as well. Um, I know against Georgia this past year, their regular left tackle was hurt. So he shifted over and I thought he held his own in that game. Um, unfortunately Kelly Bryant was also out that game. So their offense wasn't out there a whole lot. Um, they really struggled in that game, but he definitely offers that versatility. So my last guy here is going to be John Simpson. Uh, he's a guard out of Clemson. Um, and he is another guy that is just big. He's six, five, 300, 330 pounds. Um, I think he's probably the best run blocker of the guards and he is incredibly strong. And I rarely saw him execute double teams just because he didn't need it. Um, he's really great at the point of attack. And he probably has the strongest punch of the group. You know, he's, he throws dudes around quite a bit. Um, but he is really slow. And he does not have the best kind of mobility. And they didn't really pull him out, out very much to the edges or send him out in screen games. He's just slow. Um, that being said, if you take a, a chance on Simpson, you're probably getting a backup guard. And with his strength... And with his ability to just move dudes around, you know, I think he could have a good career as a, as a guard in the league. It's just his ceiling is really limited because he's not the best athlete. Um, and he probably needs to slim down a bit to compete with the speed rushers that there are at, at defensive tackle nowadays. All right, so I want to ask you one question because I'm a little bit curious here. Telesco has a history of, at least compared to draft projections, going ahead and taking some reach in the third round, typically an offensive lineman, interior offensive line, and last year, some considered Pipkins a reach in the third round. So I'm just curious, of these guys you mentioned, or maybe someone you didn't mention that you didn't talk about today, is there any guy, maybe it's Durant for you, Jason, that Telesco could move up and take, or not move up and take, take early in the third round, maybe? I think Durant could be that guy because he's from, I mean, he's from Missouri. It's a well-known school. So I, I feel like Durant could be that guy in six, seven, three thirty that can move that well, could definitely get some, there could be some intrigue from teams that might cause him to be like a, a round three or round four guy. And uh, honestly, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at any of these guys being taken in round three by Telesco. I mean, the, the guys we've all mentioned here are really, like we said, rounds two to four. Uh, these day three guys we listed, I could, I would take any of them in round four, which is day three, but it's early day three. The only one I would maybe not take so early is, uh, is John Simpson. But even then I, I could see it. I could be okay with it. 
but really, Ben Bredesen, Yasir Durant, Daryl Williams, I, I mean, I would be okay with any of those guys taking it in the third round. Yeah, most of these guys are are from bigger known schools. I think the biggest wild card of, of this class, of this position, is Nitin Muti just because of his um, health concerns. You know, I think you're taking a chance on Muti's upside. You're not taking a chance on him, on his production or on his experience. So he probably is the most um, raw as as a guard right now. Um, I like Matt Hennessy a lot as far as a, a backup that could be uh, similar to Questenberry where he's just an athlete and he relies on his quickness and mobility to to succeed as, as a center. Um, he's from Temple, so it's not a tiny school, but um, he's a bit of a wild card too just because he does struggle so much with, with the physical defensive tackles. But, you know, again, in a division that has some good uh, speed rushing defensive tackles, I think that Hennessy would be a, be a good addition. Would any of these guys be able to start? I mean, I guess if they don't resign Schofield, and I guess if Lamp doesn't pan out, would, these guys, would any of these guys be able to start week one in 2020 or nah? I think most of them could. I don't know if they necessarily should, but uh, I mean, if if you're asking who I would be comfortable with sure. starting in week one, um, be it as mm-hmm. probably is the easiest one. Uh, Cushionberry, yeah. I would definitely be okay. And even though he has concerns, I would Mootsy 100%. I would be okay with starting yeah. day one. I, you know, I, I would throw Bredesen in there as well. Um, I think of this class in general, I think the smart money on is on Cushenberry of being the the best pro, I think just because of his intangibles as a leader. But I like Biedaz a lot. I think Biedaz could have a very capable career as well. Um, so if I had a bet on best day one starter, I think it would be Cushenberry or Biedaz. All right, that's it for the 2020 guard and center class. Before we say goodbye, Steven and Jason, where can we find you on Twitter? Yeah, so my personal account is Stephen I. Hagland, and I do run the Guilty as Charged podcast, which is the GAC Podcast 17. Um, we're really trying to get some more outreach and be able to interact with more fans these days. So if you do follow us, um, please give us as much interaction as you as you possibly want. Um, we're really trying to interact with you guys and, and get a strong following for what kind of thoughts you guys have and how we can do better as a podcast as well. So you can find me at Centauri13 on Twitter, hashtag love at six. <laughs> Are you going to throw that into every episode now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I hope it works for you, Jason, because I don't want to sit here and listen to you cry for an entire podcast. <laughs> anyway. Not Herbert. Not, hashtag not, not Herbert. Herbert. Oh, boy. <laughs> hashtag not my quarterback. <laughs> Anyway, thanks, Josh, again uh, for your question. This is Tyler at Tyler J. Shoon. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and stay tuned for the Offensive Tackle podcast this Friday. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.